Hello, I'm Robin Lynn Maven, the CEO, creator, and producer of Vibes Live. We have over 2 million geographical listeners reaching 200 countries with nonstop music 24-7. Just tune in on VibesLive.com. <laughs> I say it again, how can you just don't stop it and just get ready to jam? With Disco Daddy, wide world of hip-hop radio show. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, only on VibeLive.com with special guests every week. Don't miss it. <laughs> Hello out there, Disco Daddy here, and welcome to another edition of Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip-Hop and R&B. We are blessed today. If you've been following our show, you know that we have been speaking to legends, legendary figures in the world of hip-hop, people who go back to the very beginning of this culture before records were even being recorded. We are blessed, truly blessed, to have one of those gentlemen with us today. he is popularly known as AKG. Let's go back to the very, very beginning of hip-hop. You are one of the few people I can talk to who has spanned a period before records, even preceding uh, Brother Herc. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to let you exactly, uh, explain exactly how uh, the chronology of uh the early days of hip-hop went as far as your involvement and with the Brother Coolhurst because I understand that you knew him and worked with him. So why don't you start and tell us how you began, uh, where you were born at, and uh, give us a flavor of what was going on by the time you got old enough to get into this culture that we call it. Hey, hey. Well, yes. <laughs> well, uh, well, I started in hip-hop in uh, 1971. And, um, you know, I was introduced to it by um, a guy named DJ Smokey and the Master Plan Bunch. And, uh, I, you know, this Bronx, Bronx, New York. And um, at this particular time, I was about 12 years old. And, you know, I didn't know what this stuff they were doing. You know, at the time, I, I saw it, and it was it was called jamming, and it, it wasn't hip hop at the time. It was just called jamming. And um, you know, when I went to see them several times on the block on One Sixty Ninth and Grant, and um, I I saw people that I didn't know who anybody was at the time because I was just a young kid myself, and they were a little they were like teenagers. They were like, you know, 18, 19, and maybe even close to 20. What year were we talking and right here? What year were we talking? We talk in 1971. Yes. And, uh, you know, so um, so I saw these guys. I, I, I saw Love Buck Starsky, God bless his soul. I saw him behind 
the turntables. I saw DJ Lucky, DJ Smokey, and the guy that we know as Grandmaster Flash today. I saw him behind the turntables as well, passing records to Smokey. In 71. Yeah, this is 71. I never saw him on the turntable. I only saw him passing records. And every time I would go, I would never see him on the turntables, just passing records to Smokey. Mm, okay. And, um... He must have been very young at the time. Last, last, last 71, he must have been very young. Yeah, so I caught that bug when I was 12 years old and, you know, and, and been doing it ever since. Okay. So now, during this period in the Bronx, uh, you had what's called the park jams. Now, I've interviewed... Uh, Raheem and uh, Kidfield, a few other people. The Park Jams, were they jumping off in 71, 72, or was this a phenomenon that began a few years later, in 73, 74? Give us a chronology on basically how that evolved. Okay, well, like I said earlier, um, when I saw the, the Master Plan Bus, they was on a block. They had... Um, they had roped off the block with garbage cans, and they had blocked the streets, so they, they were like doing a block party. Yeah. Uh, later on, about 73, 74, they started to do, like, you know, parks and things like that. Oh. So, the park, so the park. Right. So, but earlier, they didn't have the big system in 71, 72 that came to predominate. Uh, a few years later. Am I correct? Right. The systems were, the, the first system I saw was, was uh, the master plan bunch system, which they had column speakers, they had Kenwood turntables, um, and they had, they didn't have mixers, they just had knobs. And right. these were the first times I've seen put quarters on the needles to hold the needles down. These guys were that I saw that put uh, cut cardboard off the record to put the the records on so you can backspin on 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 Kenwood turntables because they was belt driven, and uh, these were the first guys that I've seen do that, um, and what have you, and and pretty much the whole technique turntable was built on their technology and their ideals, right. Right. I remember the belt is in turn, David. You have to be very careful with them. There was only one way, and that was forward. We're in the period now before records, and uh, Bronx is predominant from what I understand from this period, let's say 71 to up to 76. But uh, i got to ask, ask everybody from the Bronx, is this, were there Harlem players in the game also. Harlem and the Bronx, and so sometimes I, on some of the interviews, uh, we all came to realization, I think, that some people back in the day, because there was no internet, if you grew up in the Bronx, you didn't exactly know what was going on in Brooklyn at the same time. You see what I'm saying? Until maybe some years later. And the same thing applied to Harlem. But I grew up in Harlem, and historically right. Harlem and the Bronx was always close. Brooklyn was always doing a different dance when you went over there, so they knew you wasn't from Brooklyn. <laughs> but back in the day, so so but what was the what was the flavor like in Harlem? I don't know if you traveled back and forth, or if your experience was only the Bronx, or if you 
met people that came up from Harlem. Was Harlem involved during the early period as much as you know? Well, you know, the interesting thing is I was an interesting kid because at 12 years old, I was, um, I was 5'11", so I was pretty big for a 12-year-old. Right. And, and, you know, I, I traveled a lot, you know, because back in those days it was, you know, we had our games and all that stuff too, but um, it, was a, it was a more safe environment than it is today. Right. So, at you know, I traveled. I traveled to, um, to Harlem. I traveled to Queens and Brooklyn. And I was some of the most toughest places because I grew up, in the South Bronx, in some of the toughest places. So I, it, it just seemed fun to me, no matter what bar I went to. And um, so I used to be in Harlem, and in 71, I don't think no one was doing what we call hip-hop today, but by 72, um, there, were, there were certain groups like you know, Johnny Wawa and Ray Vaughn and, and, and the Mean Machine, you know, um, uh, um, there, there were different, there were, there was groups coming up from Harlem, and then, you know, in, um, in Queens and Brooklyn, in Brooklyn you had the Infinity Machine, they had a nice system, they were more like disco DJs, but they were like right. amazing systems, uh, so they go all over the place, and then, you know, um, you know, Brooklyn and, and, and what about yeah, the flowers in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah, Grandmaster Flowers, yeah, yeah, Ken Charles, you know. So I, I actually got to know these people a little bit. I was just a young kid, you know, it's not even those kid probably, but you know to them, but I I, I meet them and I I was at all at their systems because they they had the they had big birthers and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't know what birthers were until I got to meet some of these guys. And uh, they had system. They wasn't like they wasn't like scratching and doing all that stuff. They were just mm-hmm. you know they were right. mixers. They had to blend music to really well. They were super good at that, and um, and they had great systems. Um, the system out from Smokey. Smokey was doing something different. He was he was scratching on records. He was he was he, you know. And and, and it's interesting. Where was he from? What borough was he from? He's from the Bronx. He's from the Bronx. United So, and that's how I got the bug on hip hop in seventy one, So he was doing something completely different than everybody else. And uh, you know, and it was just amazing. And then you know, when I became dominant in the game, I wonder what happened to him. Um, and then I was actually looking for him for about 30 years, and wow. we uh, found him all, and uh, we wound up shooting the documentary of their life story, uh, which is called The Dead Souls of Hip Hop, which is coming out soon. Um, I directed it, I uh, shot it, and um, I wrote, wrote it, and um, did all the editing and everything, and um, it's a great doc, and, and, and it tells their whole life story. I'm also in the doc because their life story is part of my legacy because that's how I started. But they they tell a damn story. I mean, 
they, they just tell it like it is. They don't have to let them just tell their story. They've been holding on to it for 50 years. Wow. And that's one of the persons that you very rarely hear their name mentioned. You hear the, the, uh, Disco Mario. You hear AJ, the DJ, AJ, DJ Jones. You hear about some of the brothers that, you know what I'm saying? I very rarely hear about DJ Smokey. Uh, you're one of the few people in this documentary that concerns and fills a gap in about this brother's life and his influence, early influence on yeah. hip-hop. Well, see, some, some of the people that, that are legends like myself now, they know about, they're like, they're like a myth. They're like um, Bigfoot or something like that to them. Right. Because they hear about them, but they never see them. Right. And when they, when they, when sometime I have one or two of them with me, and I introduce them to certain people, and they go, wow, they do exist, you know, because, <laughs> you know, they, they've heard about them all through their careers, but never got to really see them because they they just, you know, wasn't around, you know. And I seeing them when I was 12 years old because I lived around the corner from them. Uh, I lived on 70th and Morris Avenue, and they were on 169th and Grant Avenue. So I, I was around the corner, so I had the privilege of seeing this stuff at an early age. Okay. All right. Now let's get into, a, move up a few years to uh, 75, 76. And now you've got park jams going full blast. You still have no records yet, but you've got the rise of the DJs that we're talking about. Uh, now Flash has his own thing going on. What was it? that uh, uh, you began doing uh, in that particular era. We, again, we're going a few years before the first recording. I'd like to get into uh, when the park jams were full-blown, the, the spades and uh, Casanovas were given protection. How did that crew system evolve from what the days you're talking about from 71 and they just had the simple black parties into the park jams and it all congealed together with the spades and Casanovas and everybody having a role Well, to be honest, um, from 71 to about 77, I was a break dancer. Okay. <laughs> okay. B-boy. From, from 71 to 77. And um, I, I started rapping in 74. Oh, yeah, no, I went there right now. I started like 73. I started rapping because started to get popular around 73. But it was always, it was always about the DJ graffiti and breakdancing. That's what hip-hop was in, in, the, 70, in the early 70s. Right. And uh, so I was a breakdancer, you know, even though I started rapping about 74, 73, I started to dive into the rap stuff. But I didn't take rap serious to about 77. Okay. Uh, you know, so I, I was a great dancer, man. I just went around battling people, man, you know. I remember one time I went south to my family's house, and um, and then I went to uh, some other family members in, in Riverhead, Long Island, and they took me to the bar, and they played, somebody put on Dance to the Drummer's Beat, and I started break dancing, and all the people in the bar just stopped doing whatever they was doing. They were just looking at me. They were like, this kid, this kid is crazy. It's wrong with this Robinson cousin, I could not get the beat just took control of me and I started breakdancing and they never seen this. 
And uh, to this day, you know, my cousin said, well, my cousin was doing that way back in the days. Everybody's getting on it now. He was doing that way back in the days. We thought something was wrong with him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you so, got your, your, your big crews now jumping off. You got big sound systems, uh, 7677, and you got the emergence of groups. Can you tell us about that particular period? This is just before the first contract when groups sort of predominated. Did you get a chance to uh, 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 work with any of these cats before you started doing your own thing? Um, I heard you. Man. I got Black Mario. Were you a black person? Let me. I'm sorry. Let me go back. Let me regress because most of the brothers I talked to from the Bronx were involved. Were you? Did you have any gang involvement yourself or association? No, actually, actually, I come from a real strict uh, Christian background family, and fathers uh, was we they didn't play that. They would cap that. They would cap that behind the out of line. <laughs> I think, what are those things? I, I told you one incident, and this is how serious it was. Sure. One time, a friend, and he spray painted a man called. He ran, and the man saw me. And he then two houses down from my house, came and told my mother, and it was the beginning of the summer. Ooh. My mom punishment for the whole entire summer. I couldn't come outside for the whole entire wow. summer. Wow. Um, that, that, she, she didn't break down one time and say, oh, go ahead, I'll fly, I'll fly. The whole entire summer, I, all I could do was look out the window. <laughs> and, uh, I was take the garbage outside. <laughs> Michael, Michael, I need you to talk louder. I need you to put that microphone close to your phone, maybe your face. Okay. Right. So okay. I, I, I uh, you know, would have to, uh, you know, look outside the window and watch okay. kids play, right? And um, and and I, I think she let me out one day before school started. Man, man, and and and, and I'll tell you something. I haven't been in any trouble since then. <laughs> I don't follow people. I don't do stuff. So, so that was a really important lesson. But um, yeah, so <laughs> so I didn't get in any gangs or anything like that because right. I grew up the way that I grew up. To be a part of a gang. To be tough, right? And I had good street role models that taught me the good things and the bad things. But I really gravitated more toward the good things. And um, I know I didn't need because I was only a tough kid. I right. played with these and all kind of foolishness when I was a young kid because I grew up in the South Bronx, you know, bandit building and all that stuff, you know. Jumping from building, and I did a lot of crazy stuff that I sit down today and I go, I did that, and I was crazy because you know, <laughs> tripped and fell, and I would have been at the end of it, you know. But um, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't need gangs, you know. I think when people be a part of gangs is because you know they need that, um, they need somebody to validate or. or, or or, or they need that strength. I was just a strong kid by myself. I was when I walked into a room, I was a game by myself. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Okay. AKG on Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip-Hop and R&B. Let's move on into the end of your breakdancing phase. At what point did you decide after round 77 uh, that you wanted to do more than be a B-boy? Well, first of all, I started getting older, and girls weren't really that much into breakdancing. As getting older, the girls that I was was interested interested in guys that was rapping or or singing or or stuff like that, or driving, have a car, whatever. So, so I said, well, all right, maybe I need to just step it up and, and, and do this rap stuff to give this thing a try. But, and I did the first rap convention in the Bronx in the PNL, and uh, I didn't win the contest, but, uh, you know, a DJ, a Puerto Rican DJ named Charlie Chase saw me, and he said, hey, you know, I'm not just over at my house and, uh, you know, for this new group I have, the Cold Crush, you know, and, you know, now to come over here. So I came in on this one and I brought two other MCs with me, uh, Dynamite T and, 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 and another guy, and we came there and auditioned and he liked me and he picked me and, and the rest is history and I became one of the Cold Crush brothers and, uh, and uh, we did our thing from there to still now. Wow. Okay. The Cold Crush Brothers, brothers, legendary in New York and all worldwide. Can you go into elaborate exactly uh, what happened when you guys formed Cold Crush? Were there any other rap groups around at that time? There was tons of them. Because this is 78, but this is the, uh, just before records, the first recording contracts, right, that you guys formed your group, right? Right. Okay. So there were thousands of rap groups back then, just as much as there hey. Um And, you know, everybody was striving to be number one, you know? Right. Every team and, and everybody was striving to be number one, you know? So you had the Funky Four plus one more, you had the Furious Five, you had the Fantastic Five. You know, you had Bam Bob and the Soul Sonic Force, you know. Okay, so then right. you, had, you had the Force MDs, you know, became the, the, the Force MCs, then they became the Force MDs. Right. And there's a lot of people out there, you, had, you know, from different boroughs, from Jersey, you know. At this point, you know, rap has spread pretty, pretty wide, you know. Mm-hmm. So you had groups all over the place, you know. You had groups all over the place. Well, let me ask you this then. Because you weren't affiliated with gangs, most of the other brothers, again, from the Bronx that I interviewed, they had protection. They had protection when they got to the venue and when they got off the stage. Now, your crew, how did you guys roll? Did you have your own protection? Or, again, did, did, there were certain people that nobody even just messed with. Or, well, how did you circumvent the, the stick-up man? Well, we had... Our whole um, uh, uh, security, we had the Cold Crush Brothers security. Uh, Tony Crush, Tony Crush Brother was our security. Uh, another guy named Money Ray, God bless his soul, he was our security. So we had, we had, we had a security crew, but uh, okay. I, I, I come from, you know, a family of, of tough brothers. You know, I had a big right. brother and he was tough and everybody knew him. He had a rep on the street and 
nobody ever really messed with me because of that, I believe most of it. And then, you know, um, as I grew up, you know, nobody kind of like, you know, messed with me either because I had, I had that. The way you carry yourself. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I was a I, I, I don't. I just say I don't take tea for the fever. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into the Wild Style era. Cold Crush Brothers. Now, uh, movies and uh, uh, movie makers during that period became fascinated with this new uh, movement. We had to call it a movement because it's still. I don't think it was still called. It wasn't called hip hop yet. So, how did that? How did that come about? Well, at this, at this particular time, Wildstyle, um, when Wildstyle was created, um, we had the, the term hip-hop was coined by Love Buck Starsky and Keith Cowboy from the Furious Five. So it did exist um, at that time. The term did exist by the time Wildstyle came about. Um, and... Uh, you know, the, you know, there's a guy named Fat Fox Freddy, mm-hmm. and he he used to bring uh, Debbie Blondie uh, uh, to the um, to, to some of the hip hop shows, mm-hmm. and uh, Debbie Harrison, and um, and then you know he wound up hooking up with some other guys that were filmmakers, and they said, well, we should do a film, you know, and they put deal together, they brought it to certain people, they brought it to my group. The Fantastic Five, they brought it to Grandmaster Flash, they brought it to a few people, and we um, we wind up doing this movie, which is probably one of the most famous movies ever done because it has the actual people that was around doing it at the time Classic. in the movie. Classic. So, you know, this, this is not like a beach street or or or, or anything like that. Um, this is this is this is as real as it can get at that particular time. Right. So yeah, it was, it was interesting doing that movie. It was, it was fun. I mean, you know, I was about sixteen or seventeen when I did that movie, and then from that movie, we wound up going to Japan and be the first uh, rap group to tour Japan. Wow. Wow. And when we got to Japan. It all looked like a karate picture to us because they were still wearing the, the, the clothes that you would see in a karate movie, and they didn't, they didn't wear their hat backwards. They didn't wear jeans. They didn't wear sneakers. They didn't wear none of that stuff. So, so <laughs> when we went there, it was like we were in a karate picture, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how was it accepted over there, though? How was hip-hop accepted at that time? Uh, well, we got there thousands of people at the airport. The greatest thing, like you know, like how the Beatles invaded America. Mm-hmm. It was like that, and it was great. We had a fantastic time. We went to Tokyo, Osaka, and Kyoto, and we had a great time. It really produced Japanese people to hip hop, and you know, right now hip hop is very huge there. Yeah, yes, it is. Okay, who are some of the members of the Cold Crush Brothers? Well, you have myself, which is AKG. Then you have Grandmaster Kaz. Then you have CAD. You have JDL. And you have Tony Crush. And then you have Charlie Chase. There's six, six of us. 
Okay, good for you guys. Now, you're like the Dells of hip-hop. And I say that because, you know, the Dells never broke up. I mean, they stayed together one of the longest uh, groups in R&B to stay together, uh, probably besides the, the, the Isaacs. Now, you guys still um, um, perform. Uh, I know individually uh, you do stuff, but do you still perform as a Cold Crush unit? Yes, we do. We do. We do. Um, lately, we have, well, we have a show coming up in August, um, August 9th, in the amphitheater down in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. We're doing the Wild Style Reunion on August 9th. We, and, and, you know, you just, you know, you come out and, and, and you sit out there in the amphitheater and, and you watch all these groups. You, you probably see uh, Billy B. Starsky. Well, all the people that were going to out was going to pretty much be on the show. Okay. Okay. Now, before we leave the Cold Crush Brothers, I need to ask you, records start coming out. People start giving out contracts. How did that change the game? Uh, from when everybody was just doing their park jams and having fun and doing this thing we call hip-hop for fun. How did the, 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 the awarding of recording contracts change the game? And where were the Cold Crush Brothers doing this ever? Uh, were you interested in the recording contracts? Or um, or you let us tell us, tell us what, what, what transpired, how the game was changed during the era when records started being recorded? Well... In the early days, before I got with the Cold Crush, I used to always say, wow, it would be great if we could do what we do on on records. Because when I first heard, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. But it's not what we do, but pretty cool. And, you know, I said, well, if we can get our stuff on the radio like this, on on the records, it would be really cool. And... And, you know, people started to work with Bobby Robinson, God bless her soul, and Sylvia Robinson, God bless her soul. So, you know, and then uh, we, we didn't sign with a lot of labels because um, a lot of labels wanted to control us, and we felt that we just didn't want to be controlled. So we kind of, you know, didn't engage as fast as other groups did. And... Thus, you know, not going on big major tours and things like that. We are like um, my group. Um, we're considered like the um, the Grateful Dead or something like that. You know, we okay. we just we just like like doing what we do, and people just come to see us do what we do because we just do something that's very extraordinary, and no one else can do it. You know, it's like looking at James Brown or something like that. No one can do what he does. He, he's a special item. You know. Yes, sir. Now. So, yeah, and, and, and on top of that, you know, you know, now, you know, I just put out a new CD, uh, EP, called Brand New Day, and... Um, it's a solo project? Yes, yeah, a solo project. It's an AKG. Um, and, and TV is very important to me because... In the last three years, I was dealing with a lot of health issues. Mm. So, so after I pretty much healed myself from heart disease and high blood pressure, 
um, I put together this CD. And, and, you know, I tell people all the time now that I'm much older, much wiser, and much stronger, that I don't rap about what I see. I rap about what I want people to be. Wow. And I think uh, my producer has got some of, got a track for you. Um, the, the, the EP is called a, a Brand New Day or A New Day? Brand New Day. A Brand New Day. And what is the uh, track that we're going to hear? Uh, I don't know. Y'all can just speak. I would say Brand New Day because Brand New Day is what it is for me, you know. Uh, when you're when you're dealing with heart disease and two or five surgeries, you know I'm stronger than most, but um, you know to bounce back from that, it's a brand new day. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Yeah, a brand new day. It's a new day. enemy is trying to hold you down, but don't forget that God holds the crown. You can be the next president to change the world from acid to alkaline and change the mind of the young and the old, so once again, we can all be whole. You had so much fun Those summer nights was the bomb Nobody got killed, no cop alarm We gotta take back our community We gotta bring back that unity So we don't have to bury our young Let's take a stand, every woman and man
brand new day on Disco Daddy's wide world of hip-hop and R&B. You're hearing it first. Now, you've been um, uh, in the studio with this EP. Uh, is it already, has it been released yet? Yes, it's released. You can find it on Amazon, iTunes, anywhere you can buy a CD online. You can find it, and um, Amazon is the only um, delivery that allows you to um, have a physical CD or a download. Okay. All right. We're going to talk more about the music. But I understand that uh, you would like to talk to uh, some of the brothers out there. In fact, men in general, who we, we, we we're so macho, we don't really take care of ourselves during our younger years. We think we're going to live forever. And you've got a message uh, to, to talk about as far as health issues concerning us. Uh, Mr. AKG, why don't you let us know your feelings on this subject? Well, you know, the, the bottom line is you have to take care of yourself. You have to eat right. See, when I, did, when I, when I developed heart disease, I went in and I studied the human anatomy. Now, what, 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 you know, I want to interrupt you. How old were you? Because heart disease, we usually think of hitting older people, 60, 70. How old yeah. were you when you had your first experience? Well, when I had, uh, I was about 51 when it started. Okay. And, uh, and I, um, you know, when I had this problem, I didn't know what was going on with me. And um, so well, when I got that, what kind of symptoms, what kind of symptoms were you getting? Well, the symptoms you get, you get, you get um, out of breath um, and uh, it feel like, you know, your lungs are going to collapse on you because you feel like an elephant is sitting on your chest. Wow. And I had it so bad that I um, couldn't walk from the couch to the kitchen table without being out of breath. Wow. My breath is blessing. This, this is what most people go through when they have heart problems. And so when I got to hospital, I started to study the human anatomy. And what I found was pretty interesting that, you know, all humans, we all think we are alike, but we're different, especially black humans. Um, we have what's called carbon in our body. And um, the doctors call it melanin, but there's really no such word as melanin. Um, hmm. It's called carbon. And carbon exists in every green plant on the earth. Right. Um, we have that in our body. So if we don't get fresh water and um, and sunlight, we're, we're, we're going to be very sick and we're going to die, just like a plant. If you don't get plant, fresh water and sunlight, it'll die. Um, we're, that. we're like that. Um, and um, you know, once I understood that, I started drinking good water, fresh water, pH balanced water. Hmm. Uh, and I stopped drinking tap water. I don't cook with tap water. I don't drink with tap water. I don't brush my teeth with tap water. And when I take a shower, I have a pen filter shower, uh, a filter on my shower. So when the water runs through it, it runs through 10 filters before it touches my body. Because what people are aware is that when, as you grow up, you think you only drink from your mouth, but you drink from your whole entire body. Your whole entire body is a mouth. 
and you're not educated to know this because people actually want to take care of you. So when you take a shower, you actually drink about 12 cups of water every time you take a shower in the bath. So right. if, you do, if, you, if you do, like most people do, take two showers a day, you're drinking a lot of water. And if that water is contaminated, it's going all over your body. Um, and, and it's seeping in your toes, every part of your body, your, your head, everything, when you wash your hair, everything. So I became aware of that. I changed a few things. I changed, and, and, and there's no such thing as a diet. You have to, it has to be a life change. Diets don't okay. exist. That's to make you think you're doing something. It's almost like it's almost like democracy, you know. Um, give people democracy to make them feel like they're part of something. But you don't call no shots. You don't sit on the the, the panel that controls the controls what happens. Right. So, so people democracy because most people say you know humans are like a hand on the clock around and around and around they go. So once I started myself and understood all this stuff, I was able to heal myself and basically just you know eating eating fresh vegetables and fruit, organic without any pesticides on it because you know most humans eat about two to three pounds of pesticides a year. Right. Okay. And this is why, you know, and then, you know, they tell you that you can get, get, pro, you get, you get protein and stuff from the meats. But I, I, I pushed away the middleman, and I just get protein from plants and vegetables. And you're doing much better now, my brother? Oh, yeah. I went from my heart was beating under 20% about two and a half years ago to now about 85 90% now. Wow, so it is reversible to a certain extent if you can catch yourself and discipline yourself, uh, and the, like you did, you did research also uh, on right. on your body. Okay, so right. uh, is there any way that you disseminate any of this information now? Do you got a web page, or do you you know, or do you give uh, like speeches on this, to, to, you know, or do you, do you just take these opportunities like this radio interview to do that? To right. Let people know? I don't- uh, yeah, I, I I push it like that, but I I, I I am available for lectures and and to come talk to the youth and different things like that because I think you know people need to see something something that's physical, something that they can touch and say you know wow you know I'm going through that right now you know there's a lot of people probably listening right now that's going through it you know and. I would tell them the first thing you might want to do is to grab you some black seed oil and take that. <laughs> now, do you know That's how many right. times I've heard that in the past maybe year, even my producer, who I know he's listening, you <laughs> yep. heard her ears. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it works, it works for you? It works for you, my brother? You know, because black seed oil Heels, uh, and, I, and and that's that's the very right now. I'm not getting any money from the Black Seed Oil Company. I'm just just putting the message out there and let you know. Experience. The Black Seed Oil helps with 101 thing in the human body, and been around since they've been around since Kemet. Most people don't know what Kemet is, but right. that's what they call it. But it was first called Kemet. Man, my brother is deep. And get me, let's let's get into that a little bit. You're you're a deep brother. You're also an inventor. We just heard your 
regimen for health, uh, it takes a certain amount of intelligence to say to yourself, let me do my research and see if I, what I can do because you're the only person who can change things about you as far as health and your diet, well, not diet, but, you know, the things you eat, your activities and things like that. But you're an inventor. Absolutely. Absolutely. On Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop and R&B is an inventor. Tell us a little bit about that, how uh, you got involved. I was a science kid. I I think I told you I, I became a DJ while I was in school for radio engineering, and I dropped all of that. But I love the atoms and molecules and stuff. Tell us how you, uh, uh, basically that side of uh, AKG, tell us a little bit about that. Well, for me, it started with my brother, because my brother, he used to he used to break my toys. <laughs> <laughs> He's older than you. He used to break my toys. I used to have robots. He'd break them and see how they work and all that. And, um, and then through the years, I picked up his, his little knack of, of wanting to, like, learn about stuff and how it works and things like that. So, and then as the years progressed, I became a thinker. I like to tinker with things. Um, and I like to, you know, and I sit back and I, and I watch humans and I, and I watch what they like or what they would need in the future. Right. I invent stuff. I, I invent things that you're going to need like 20, maybe sometime 30 years from now. And, have you got um, actual patents for some of this stuff? I have 16 patents on all my inventions because when I invent them, I, I go in and lock the windows. Wow, you're a serious inventor, my brother. It, what, what, what is the process? I mean, I, you can't explain the creative process. But once you come up with an idea, uh, who do you reach out to and say, because you've got to have prototypes and stuff like that. Tell, tell us about how that process works once you've conceived of an idea. Well, once you get an idea, um, you're in a, you are in the uh, creative process, and something is going to manifest from that. So you, you, you start taking in the stuff, and then obviously you want to you get with someone who can, um, or a, a company that can help you um, move your invention along. Um, you have to be careful because people do steal ideas. Of course. Um, so, so you have to be careful, and you have to get with the right companies to help you uh, achieve that or, or hire um, a patent attorney to, 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 to help you uh, get this done. Um, you know, I've learned how to do my own patterns, but it's really hard because when I first started doing it, I um, it, it was like my brain was starting to ooze out of my ears. Wow, uh, that hard to do. So, so to explain it will just be like I be just sounding generous explaining it really down to details. But I think if, if, if you want to get it done and you have a great idea, um. You should go in and seek a, a, a patent and a design attorney because you have to also not just the, the, the ideal, but you also have to patent the design. Right. right. Okay. So uh, it's a lot that goes into that. So, you know, and I know a lot of people have great ideals and they just, you know, never do anything with them. Right. Please don't do 
you know, but I, I wish I came up with the paper plate and the, and the plastic forks. <laughs> the safety. I'm off some beach right now going, can you believe we made all this money on <laughs> yeah. paper plates and, and plastic forks? Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> man. You're a man of many disciplines, my brother. You're a man of many disciplines. Let's get into, <laughs> now you're into uh, production. You have some uh, 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 television productions, I believe, uh, that you're working on some ideas coming up. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? I'm in the process of, of, of uh, selling um, one of my TV shows. I have about 12 TV shows I've written, hmm. and uh, I'm in the process of selling one of them. Um, not all my TV shows are based on black culture. You know, I have some, like, Archie Bunker-type TV shows where there ain't no mm-hmm. black people. So, you know, and sometimes, you know, people are going to see me go up there and I'm going to be standing next to, like, Woody Allen or something like that, and, you know, for yeah, one of my shows. And, and it's right. like, it ain't got to do with no black culture. It's just a show. So I have, like, a lot of things that I, that I write because when I write, I don't um I don't put myself in a box or anything like that. So uh-huh. when I'm creating stuff, I, I just stay in the creative mind and and I, and I just go with it, you know. Because I've I've been I've been privileged in 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 the time that I've been here on Earth to see different cultures and to 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 get to know different cultures. So I learn about different things, you know, um, and uh, try to just make the world a better place than what I was born in. And, yes, you know, sir. and that's the whole idea about it, you know? So I, yes, so I have a lot of different things I'm doing, and, and people be, be on the lookout, you know, you, you'll hear more as I go in, you know. A lot of stuff, I, I can't talk too much about it because I have, like, right. you know, agreement with these people. So I, I, I will tell you this, in, in a minute you're going to see me on a lot of different stuff, uh, doing a lot of TV stuff and whatnot. Because I, I, okay. I, I self-trained myself to do animation, which was the first thing I got involved in, uh, which was really hard. Animation is like, um, it's like uh, 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 you know, doing uh, uh, algebra versus regular math. And could you draw, were, were you, could you draw? I mean, were you a basic artist before you even got into the electronic part of it? Were, were, could you always draw? Well, I used to draw, but, but I really got into the more technical part of animation, how to make the, um, the, the characters come to life. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get someone to do the drawing because I, I'm not that good of a drawer, but, but putting it in the art and making it work and making it walk and talk and move. Uh, and, I got you. Okay. You know, All right. um, well, that type, like, when you see, like, in, like, the Incredibles and stuff like that, I do, uh, I do uh, animation like that. Wow. Okay. So when I went to film, film was, like, you know, like, second-grade math to me, you know what I'm saying, because it's, it's, it's so easy compared to animation. You know, animation is just, with all the rendering and all that is just is just real tedious. Okay, you are multifaceted, brother AKG. Now let's talk a little yeah. bit about hip hop. 
about today's yes. hip hop. You 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 one of the few people that I can talk to who comes from a day before it was called hip hop and it's still yes. alive now to see what this worldwide culture has become. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I always thought it would be something big. And I I, I never thought it would be a trillion dollar business. Um no, I remember when I was young and I went to CBS before they became Sony Music, and there were some Italians and some Jews up in there. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I got something uh, to make money and to sell. It was called hip hop, and they pretty much laughed me out the uh, office. They said, uh, <laughs> "I'm sure they did." <laughs> you know, fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old kid, you know, and they said, um. They said, well, come back when you got some disco or uh, uh, rock. And they just laughed me out. They said, that's a fad. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I left the office with my head down. And I think if those old guys are around today, they're not laughing now. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And what do you think of today's uh, various forms of hip-hop, trap, mumble rap, all of this kind of stuff? Well, you know, um, I think I like the way it's still progressing, and that was the the popular music of our time. Um, Now, just like anything else in life, you know, you got a lot of people that don't want a Mercedes Benz or don't want a a, a Jaguar. Some people just like their horse and carriage. Myself, I like some stuff, and I like some stuff, just like anyone would. You know? So I think it's I think it's doing good as, as far as keep moving forward. You know, I I personally would like to see more conscious um, hip hop. You know, because I think you know we um, we influence a lot of people. A lot of times, people don't want to be role models, but when you're put in the atmosphere, you, that's what you are. And, right. you know, and when you become a celebrity star, you, 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 you're, you're a star. And you know what a star does? A star shines. Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> come out every night if you look up in the sky, and they don't come out for themselves. They just shine. And if you're a star, you need to act like you're a star. And and, 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 and and do what's right because it's an opportunity that many don't have. And uh, you put on a platform to help many people, you know. And, you know, you're not, you're not going to be the father or the mother, you know, or the preacher. You don't have to do that. What you do have to be is someone who guides them in the right direction so they can be prosperous in life. Now, once again, that takes maturity. So sometimes yeah. you got to get them to grow, too. And then they'll right. get there. And if God bless them to be around and have a long career like mine, they will get there. But, you know, you when they're young, you got to let them be young, too, you know? <laughs> there you go, my brother. The proof is in the pudding. You are still here. You're still relevant. Yes, You're still producing. Yes, You're still creating. Okay? Mr. AKG from Cold Crush Brothers. Now, I want to thank you for your contribution to hip-hop. I want to thank you for your contribution to music in general. Okay, you're still contributing. 
uh, you're contributing to society in the form of information you've just given us about health, which is very important in this, this day and time. Uh, most of our, I mean a lot of our brothers are leaving here in their 50s, some in their 40s, my brother. You know what I'm saying? Behind neglected health issues. So it's very important. You know, uh, you represent uh, what I, I, I consider to be uh, the epitome of a, a person who's lived a long life and still has a lot more to go. <laughs> okay? Yes. Mr. AKG. So wasn't it a great show? Come back next week, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop Show. Man, it's a great one. Epic, epic. See you next week. Bye.